Oh, with the story. Wild dogs cry out in the night. Ooh. I don't, I don't know what actually <laughs> But I know that that's the start of it. Yeah, well, that is exciting. So this is Luke, my brother. Um, welcome to Listen Up, the Bishop Bible Podcast. He is a missionary in Africa. So, you know, the real deal that everyone doesn't want to be. <laughs> they sing those songs about, Lloyd, do anything except for send me to Africa. <laughs> Isn't there a whole um, play made about that? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was pretty off color. I never watched it, but I, <laughs> I heard about it. Not surprised. <laughs> that does sound like the way it would be. Yep. So, yeah, thanks for joining us. I hope you guys uh, really enjoy this interview and everything. Make sure you leave a like um, if you enjoy it, because then I might try to do more interviews with people. But, Luke, why don't you uh, get started with telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, how long have you been in Africa? Yep. So... Um, I moved to Africa July of 2017, so I think that puts me right about four years and a few months. Um, and I work there with a ministry called Terabinth, which does biblical training for pastors. Uh, so we have a three-year school. We take about 30 pastors at a time, and then we study through uh, Genesis to Revelation throughout that time. The school is designed for pastors who have already begun uh, working as pastors and are in uh, villages and churches. So uh, the way it's designed is we do three weeks out of every month. They're in their congregations in their community. And then one week out of every month, they travel to Gulu, which is kind of the big city in the north. Mm -hmm. And they come for uh, training where we study through maybe a book, maybe two books of the Bible. And they test out of the week at the end or test out of the book at the end of the week, um, kind of black class style. Gotcha. Do you guys do anything like systematic theology or anything like that? Yeah. So the way that we study um, in Uganda, it would be extremely difficult to be able to provide like commentaries and books and extra things outside of what's just in the Bible. Um, and then even if pastors could find those, uh, then just the price would be way too extreme for them. So we give out a like a study Bible at the beginning, but our main goal is how to interpret scripture through scripture. So we take the first six months of the school and we just labor through the law. Uh, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then that kind of is the, the basis for the rest of uh, the, the Bible. And especially the gotcha. Old Testament, you see, um, yeah, you see all of the prophets. I mean, there's, there's very little new prophecy within the prophets. Most of it is they're just saying, hey, like, just like God told Moses that when you guys rebel and you walk away and you don't do these things, that he's going to bring these nations in to take you out. That's how it's going to happen. And so that's really the base. And then even uh, all of that, as Colossians says, is a foreshadow uh, of Christ. And Jesus is the, the fulfillment or the substance of all of those things that were forward pointing to him. Gotcha. So with doing Terebinth Ministries, is that the main thing that you do? over there? Or do you have other things that you're also doing? Yeah. So Terebinth Ministries is the main thing. That's, um, it'd be kind of my day job. Uh, <laughs> I teach in the school and I help to develop curriculum. Um, and then, oh, I should also mention Terebinth Ministries also has a farming project oh, nice. that they have set up with the goal of being able to sustain the school, um, for the future. So if funding from the state stops, there's still this mechanism in place where uh, Ugandan pastors are being paid and trained uh, to 
teach the Bible and teach the Bible. So is that the goal, having Ugandans run the entire thing and fund the entire thing? I think it's um, it's part of the goal, but it's not like, like I think we as a ministry really see the benefit of having uh, a lot of different worldviews and perspectives that teach. And so if somebody is an incredible teacher, it's awesome to have them come in and to teach. Mm. And so I think ultimately we do, and we've been working to transition to put Ugandan leadership in place as much as possible um, because we want them to have ownership of this and to see the need for it and, and really to catch the vision of it, which many of them really have. Um, but I don't think that it's something that we would say, you know, we never want uh, Western missionaries to be a part of it okay. because I think, you know, just as God uses the body of Christ and calls different people, different places, I think it is always probably going to be valuable for these pastors to hear other perspectives and worldviews as they walk through scripture. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Do you feel like, um, or let me, let me ask this. What do you feel like is the biggest need that the church has in Uganda that believers face? Yeah, I would say, it, I mean, it is that it's biblical training. Um, and I think, well, I would even say that it is proper understanding of the gospel and proper motivation for following Jesus that comes through genuine biblical understanding. Okay. Um, so in Uganda, they have a phrase, uh, they say, I've heard it many times, but I heard it very recently um, after I arrived there, a friend of mine was talking and said that Africa spiritually is like a river that's a mile wide and uh, only an inch deep. And that if dry uh, drought comes, it'll dry up in an instant. Mm. And really you do see that as being the issue that the gospel spread very quickly in northern Uganda after uh, there was rebellion and war with the LRA and Joseph Kony. Um, the gospel kind of took took flight, and and everybody kind of had realized, you know, before that the Acholi people tended to be a very proud people, and they didn't for a long time welcome the gospel as a whole. Uh, and after that kind of took place, there was a kind of a humbling of the community as a whole, and so they really were ready to accept it. The problem is that. Um, there's a whole lot of prosperity teachers mm. and syncretism that came in as kind of what filled that gap. And so hypercharismania or prosperity teaching is the predominant uh, understanding in the people. And along with that then is why I'm saying proper motivation in following the gospel because the majority of people who arrive at church are looking for finances um, or health or a change in their situation. And it's kind of this mentality. One of my friends was telling me recently that his brother, who had grown up as a Christian, uh, recently switched and became a Muslim. Oh wow! And uh, and he, I was asking him why and like what was the motivation, and he said, well, you know, he was in the Christian church for a while, and he really didn't get what he was looking for, so he thought he'd go and try the Muslim church uh, after that. And so, it's mm. not really like uh, you know they've been convinced of the nature of Jesus Christ and the truth of the Word. Uh, and of sin and righteousness and judgment, but because they're looking to better their life. And it's kind of like, you know, what social club do I want to be a part yeah. of? Or what what's the magic ticket that's going to give me what I need? For so sure. whether that's witchcraft or, um, or Christianity or Islam or Hinduism or whatever else it might be, it's kind of like, it's a, it's a very much just what can I get out of it sort yeah. of mentality. And if somebody didn't know, like, how would you describe the prosperity gospel to them? The prosperity gospel is focused on 
here and now. Uh, it's focused on saying that if you come to Jesus, all of your problems will go away. You'll be rich and happy and healthy and wise and uh, and all those kinds of things. And it really comes out of a misinterpreting of the Old Testament and the law and um, and kind of saying that all those promises from, for example, Deuteronomy 28, if you follow me and serve me, then I'll bless your crops, I'll bless your fields, I'll bless all these things. Yeah. Saying that those are all of the promises that we have access to in Jesus. And so because those are all there, the only reason you don't have wealth or prosperity or health is only because you don't have the faith to demand it or to ask mm. for it. And so it really is a in in Uganda it's taken on a very um interesting twist because Uganda is a power fear culture. Interesting. So do you know like have you heard about maybe honor shame, power fear and guilt and innocence? I've heard of the uh, honor shame. Okay. Um but I don't know what the power fear would be. So when you're doing ministry or even business or whatever cross-culturally, the, they kind of have divided, and obviously things are a lot more complex than this, but yeah. uh, they kind of have divided cultures into three separate um, demographics or uh, ways of defining them, yeah. uh, which is power fear. Uh, basically, you know, whoever has power is in control and everybody else has to fear and submit to them. And so the reason that you make your decisions, the motivations for your decisions are either to gain power or that you are acting out of fear. Mm. Um, and then guilt and innocence would be Western, most Western cultures would be guilt and innocence, which uh, basically says I have, I'm either guilty and I deserve to be condemned or else I'm innocent and I feel okay. And it's something that's very much internalized where I can go out and commit a crime and then I'm carrying this guilt with me because I know that I'm guilty uh, despite what the community sees, despite what anything else, like it's very much an internal thing. And so a lot of our motivations are either I want to be innocent or, you know, I, I don't want to be guilty, that kind of right. thing. And that's kind of what right. builds the, the mechanism for how we make decisions. And then the last one would be honor shame. And kind of the most extreme example of that would be Japan and the samurai culture where, oh, I've I've lost honor. The only recourse left for me is suicide, you know, to right. try to regain because honor. Because you have to, yeah. that's, how you, that's how you show that you still had that honor. Right. And that's very much a communal, a community-driven thing. So, it, so in an honor-shame culture, you might not have actually done the thing that, what, that led to shame. But if the community as a whole sees you as ashamed, it really doesn't matter. Like mm. you're not, whereas guilt and innocence, we would say, I know I'm, I know I'm right in this. And so you have kind of some ground to stand on, but in an honor and shame culture, they don't really have that as much. It's more like, well, I'm ashamed in the eyes of the community. Uh, and so I, I so can't. you need to make up that yeah. so that you are brought out of that place of shame. Exactly. You need, you need reconciliation. And so how all that plays in with prosperity gospel with the power fear kind of culture is you have kind of these super prophets or super apostles that lead most of the churches in Uganda. And they, um, they will say things. I was in a church, for example, where, uh, before the pastor came up, it was a big hype thing, you know, and they, one of the people said, this man, you know, he spends his days on his knees interceding for you so that you can enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Ah, or like that's entering interesting heaven. theology. And so they kind of make, <laughs> they kind of put the pastor in the place of Jesus in a sense. Yeah. But more than that, it's very much a, if you come underneath that pastor's covering, now you're entitled to all of the spiritual blessings that he has as a pastor. Right. And so a lot of it is these pastors basically make up this super, um, super spirituality that they have. And then they're selling that more or less. So come to me if your family is cursed. And because I have this super powerful blessing that I received, I'll pray for you and it'll go away. That same pastor that I was just talking about when he was speaking, he said that <clears throat> as part of his teaching was that uh, he fasted for an entire year. And at the end of the year, uh, he was praying, you know, the whole time for God to so bless him. So he like him. didn't eat any food for yeah, an that's, entire that's year. Yeah, that's what he claimed okay. anyway. That's awesome. And probably water too, you know, so yeah, just throw sure. that in there. And, uh, and he claimed at the end of that year that as he was praying for God to bless him, he heard God answer and say, how? How do you want me to bless you? Mm. And so he asked for this super powerful blessing now. And now that he has that, anybody who goes to his church and basically becomes his spiritual child and makes him their spiritual father uh, is entitled to then receive that blessing uh, as kind of like a he's the mediator of it or that kind of thing. Gotcha. And that's really like, I would say, I mean, I don't have any actual numbers, but the majority of churches in Uganda, pastors would see themselves in that kind of role. It's really interesting how that's just such a common human nature issue, because when you look through the history of the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. that was one of the reasons that they instituted the worship of saints, because you needed extra grace that a super saint has in order for you to make up what you're lacking. Huh. And so it really came out of the persecutions that um, I think it was the emperor Dalmatian had, he was incredibly brutal with his persecutions. And it was so intense that a lot of people ended up recanting their faith. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that persecution, those people wanted to come back into the church, but they weren't exactly sure how, but the people that had been faithful and died, regardless of the amount of torture that they went through, people said, oh, those people had an extra measure of grace. Mm -hmm. And that's where that thought came that then people started praying to them later and asking them to intercede and to give that grace. So it's such a fascinating thing because I really feel like it comes out of that misunderstanding of who Jesus is for mm -hmm. us, because he is our mediator. He is our great high priest. He is the one that's already stood in the gap. Mm -hmm. And when you say that you need some other form of grace, what you're really saying, even if you don't realize it, is that Jesus isn't enough. Right. So I need something else too. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've never thought about it in regards to uh, Roman Catholicism in the Middle Ages, um, but that's totally true. I think it's, and like you said, it, it's, that people need to recognize Jesus as, as the one, right? As, yeah. as the most powerful. And so you, you know, different cultures, you preach the gospel differently. Um, you preach the same message, same message, but you, you can change kind of the avenue, uh, that you preach it. And I think for an honor, shame culture, you're going to focus very heavily on the fact that, you know, Jesus covered our sins. He covered our shame. He was ashamed for us. Uh, and then we can be honored uh, through Christ. And in the guilt and innocence, obviously in our culture, when we preach the gospel, it's very much like the Ten Commandments, you're guilty and you have nowhere to go to remove this guilt from you, except for the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Right. 
And I think something that lately, as I preach the gospel in Uganda, I've been kind of just focusing or turning my focus a little bit more kind of to that idea that you find at the end of Ephesians chapter one or uh, Colossians that is that idea that, or even Romans eight, like Jesus died and was raised up and that same resurrection power like lives in us. And not only was Jesus raised up, but he was raised up above all principalities and powers and yes. rules and authorities. And he was seated at God's right hand. And so now we are hidden in him. And, and what Paul prays for the Ephesians is that they would know like God's exceeding power towards them. Right. And I think that that more than anything is going to be the answer for, uh, you know, the kind of fears that people have with witchcraft or the kind of fear that they have from these pastors, because that's another very real element. Some of the people that go to these pastors' churches have told me and said, well, I don't agree with what he teaches, but because he has this super spiritual power, and he's told us, I need if it. you, no, not even like he's told us that if you leave, you'll see what's going to happen to you. Oh. So there's very much like this fear based. That's a very doctrine. manipulative, extremely manipulative. Yeah. It's extremely manipulative. And, and so a lot of the big pastors will say, you know, this is what's going to happen to you. And then they'll bring in all kinds of stories of ex examples of saying this woman left our church and she got in a car accident. You see what happens when you, when you don't. And so that right. kind of fear just keeps people down and, and under their control. And so I think recognizing that the power that Jesus has towards us is perfect and it's above every other power and recognizing that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him. And then I think Ephesians goes on to list what those blessings are, redemption, forgiveness, right. inheritance, uh, the Holy Spirit, adoption, mm -hmm. all these amazing spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. So kind of taking your eyes off the physical, but then also just recognizing that the one who has power and control over your life is Jesus Christ when you surrender yourself uh, to him and finding your security there. And then ultimately that that perfect love casts out fear. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like the main issue is that the leadership of the church needs to change in Uganda? Or do you feel like the main issue is that individual believers need to become more biblically grounded? I think both of them have to happen. I think um, that there's a lot of people who call themselves pastors and are charlatans and yeah. uh, are just Which after... the Bible warns us about, right? right? You know, because a lot of people ask, well, like, how could God let that happen? Mm -hmm. If the Bible's really true, why are there these people that are taking advantage? And the fact is, Scripture warns us about that. Mm -hmm. It says, don't be deceived. Don't be taken in by those people because they're going to come. Right. You know, so it's not, it shouldn't be surprising to us that that's happening. The question is, how do we combat it effectively? Right. Yeah, I think training individuals, I think training pastors is important too. Like, um, there are pastors that come into our school and come from these backgrounds. And in a sense, they don't know any better. Yeah. They've been told that this is, this is what it means to be a, a pastor of a flock of God is that you you have to you know receive this super powerful blessing and now you're basically the mediator between God and man and even they they've believed and 
and followed the prosperity gospel their whole life. And so they also then teach the prosperity gospel right. or whatever else it might be. So there's a place where there is a group of these men who are simply deceived and bringing them in and training them and sitting them down and, and correcting them gently and in love, they respond. There's also, I think, a group where then when you do that, it kind of, you know, the word is living active and piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and it divides uh, the thoughts and intents of the heart. And you see that then there's also this group that says, well, I'm going to keep doing things the way that I want to do things right. in the way that gets me money and women and whatever else, fame and glory and power over people. Uh, and so I think in every case, our job as believers, I've always loved, there's a parable that shows up in the gospel of Mark, and it's not in any of the other uh, gospels. And it's the parable of the sower who goes out to sow and he sows the seed and then he goes and sleeps. Yes. And as he sleeps, the seed, comes. no, as he oh, sleeps, then, okay. then the grain comes up and says, first uh, the, the plant, then the head, then the full grain. And at the right time, then God reaps the harvest, right? Mm. And it says that he himself didn't know how the grain came up. He was faithful to plant, but the actual working, and I think that's what Paul kind of gets to when he says, so, you know, I planted and Apollos watered, but God brought the increase. And I think in every place, basically dispersing the knowledge of God, both in preaching, uh, in a teaching setting like we do, but also in a very much uh, individual way of walking with people and discipling people one-on-one, -on -one, I think that's, that's the work of um, ministers is spreading the word. And then God's going to let grow up what he wants to grow up, you know? And yeah. I think the other parable fits in too. There's going to be uh, wheat and tares sown among it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that the way to address the issue uh, is wise teaching and preaching within the cultural context, understanding what kind of false teaching you're facing and, and, and using the word of God to combat those things, but also to give the full counsel of scripture and to spend time just saturating people in the word of God because all their life they've been saturated in wrong information, just like all of us have. Yeah. Just because their culture, cultural worldview is prosperity gospel and ours <laughs> is money, money, money. Yeah. You know, we've, we've all been saturated in cultures. Uh, and so I think that idea of the renewing of our mind through the word of God is what's going to uh, transform us, metamorphosize us, as you know, Roman says, completely transform us into something new. And I think that whether for pastors or whether for lay people, there just needs to be more truth going out. And I think by training pastors, that's reaching a lot of people, but also in the everyday. Yeah. And I think that it has to be in love too, mm -hmm. right? Because that's really what Ephesians tells us is that the church is most effective when it's edifying itself in love. And the truth has to be spoken in love because otherwise we're deceived and we're not being built up the proper way. Mm -hmm. So having truth in love is paramount. Yep. I want to ask this. With all of the pastors that you've gotten to meet, which story has stood out to you the most? Hmm. Which story has stood out to me the most? Um, I, let me think about it for a second. And I'm talking life story. I mean, mm -hmm. I no, yeah. I know, I know. 
Um, okay, there's one of our pastors uh, who's a really good guy, and I'm not going to use names. Uh, we'll call him Bob. Um, Bob. We'll call him Bob. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there are any so, Ugandans you know named Bob. There might, there? They're not, not that I know. I don't okay, think I've met a yeah. Bob yet. <laughs> um, but so he um, he's the leader of a, a large denomination. He's a bishop within this denomination in northern Uganda. And his denomination was not necessarily super charismatic nor prosperity, but they were intensely legalistic. Ah. Um, the um, one of one time after preaching in in the school, one of the pastors came up to me, and I would I had been preaching and or teaching in the school, and it just so happened we were talking about some of the feasts and that some of these feasts contained alcohol. Well, for a Ugandan. The moment you touch alcohol, you've backslidden and lost your salvation. Yeah, it's over. And so, so they came up to it, and I just kind of, I just carefully pointed out that hey, like alcohol in and of itself is not something that is vile or evil to God. It's something that even He wanted as a part of His feasts, and uh, something that people drank. Even Timothy is an example, you know, those kinds right. of things. Um, but they have their ways to try to work around most of that because that's the doctrine they believe. And so. I had explained it. We had some classroom discussion. He came up after me and he said, you don't understand. He said, the gospel that was preached here in Uganda is don't smoke, don't sleep around, and don't drink alcohol. That's the gospel that was preached. And I told him, wow, you know, those are great things. Like if you make those convictions to follow the Lord and those things, but none of that is the gospel, right? The gospel is the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And so... Uh, anyway, going back to this other pastor, he uh, he came from a very strict denomination, and he uh, started our school, and he started walking through it and really genuinely wrestling with the things of grace. And it was really hard for him, uh, especially in his position as a bishop and within this mm -hmm. denomination. There are certain denominations in Uganda that they're... Um, their kind of one of their core values is salvation by works. And they'll like, it's right up front that that's what yeah. they say. And so, um, but it was really neat just to watch as he spent time in the school and he had discussions with myself and fellow teachers and within class and other students that really he like has allowed himself to be transformed and to see grace for what it is. And now within his churches, he's able to be, kind of presenting that uh, in truth. And that's so awesome. I think those kinds of things, that's just one story. I, that's what came to my head because, yeah. you know, but I think uh, there's many more stories that are very similar. Um, there's a lot of the pastors that are coming out of just incredible difficulty and pain. Some of our pastors mm -hmm. had been, uh, had been um, kidnapped in the LRA and were forced to be child soldiers wow. uh, before they're now pastoring churches. And so there's a lot of things to work through, uh, of course. Definitely a lot of um, trauma there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I love just seeing the gospel infiltrate somebody's heart and and bring life and redemption to every story. You know? Yeah. Do you find sometimes it's hard? I know for me sometimes this happens when I, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, long enough that sometimes when a new believer sees a concept for the first time that I've known for like 15 years. Mm -hmm. It is hard for me to rejoice with them mm -hmm. in that. 
do you find that that ever happens to you where sometimes these guys are going through the school? Obviously, you've been there for four years, so you've been through, a, at this point, a complete cycle of the school because the school's three years Almost, long. I think two, actually, because right? I, I came in during the first uh, yeah. class. And so you start to see kind of that same revelation happen to different people. Is there a point where you're like, okay, yeah, like this is good, but they're like, let's keep going. But come on, like <laughs> you should have known this by now, right? Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really think so. I think in my, it's hard for me um, in those moments. It's it's sometimes hard for me to have the right reaction. And mm -hmm. I think the right reaction, especially as a teacher, is extremely important. Yes, it um, is. Because it I really think, encourages or discourages yeah, people. It encourages, discourages people in classroom discussion and your relationship with that student. And so I think now teaching through the Bible, I think one and a half times is what I've taught through the whole Bible. And, uh, and there's things that's like, oh, like you're seeing that and it just seems so basic, you know? But in the moment, I think as teachers and as encouragers and, and, and pastors, it's really important that we recognize that moment for what it is. And yeah. we uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, we yes. rejoice with those who rejoice, we weep with those who weep. And so when they come to that conclusion, you have to, man, that's so incredible. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I've never seen that before. Well, maybe you don't lie about it, but you, know, <laughs> uh, but you, you, you encourage them in, in that process because, yeah, I feel like anytime God has revealed a concept to me and there's obviously head knowledge, but then there's this time where I feel like the spirit just moves and opens up a concept to be more than just theological understanding, but it really becomes real and you see it as a part of the nature of God. And I think that that's such like a, a powerful uh, moment and a powerful experience and life-changing. Um, and I wish like I could hold on to that like fervor that I, I felt when I first experienced grace or understood God's love or, you know, the, the work of the spirit or any of those other things. I wish it still excited me the way that uh, it did at first. And so I think it is an opportunity uh, for us to remember and, and not to lose our first love Definitely. as we, as, as I get to experience those things with pastors walking through it, I just, it just excites me more and more, you know, and yeah. kind of brings me back to that place of like, yeah, that's right. Like this is amazing. I should it be, say, I should be blown away by this more than <laughs> I really am, you know, definitely. But that the temptation is obviously there um, to count it as take it for granted, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's something that's really um, important because it does remind us of the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, we all struggle at different points with different things, but that's something that, I know the Lloyd has talked to me about is like, you have to, as a teacher, you have to be able to rejoice with the people that you're teaching when they learn something new mm -hmm. because of how, how important that is in their growth and in their walk and in their journey mm -hmm. with him. So living in Africa, everyone obviously thinks of lions and tigers. Sure. In Africa, mm -hmm. you know, I yep. mean, maybe not tigers, but definitely lions. Lions are there. Yep. So what, what has been your craziest experience with African animals? Yeah. Um, so living in Gulu city, it's maybe not like people imagine. What? It's no not way. like you walk out your front door. <laughs> How many door. people live in Uganda? 
45 million. And how big is Uganda? The size of Colorado. State so of Colorado. there's there's a lot of people per like, <laughs> yeah. So obviously it's not like you open up the door and there's just fields of right. elephants and lions and all of that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> but no, I live in a city. I open up my door and I see all my neighbors hanging out around. And if I look across, I see cars driving by and roads and whatever else. So, um, uh, but the, so when you, when you want to experience wildlife, you pretty much have to go to the game park, um, if for anything big, there's like a few, you'll find like gazelles and things out and around and leopards supposedly are all over Uganda. They're just, oh. yeah, they're like, they, uh, I think they're the, the big cat in Uganda that has the biggest spread and there's the most of them because they're super secretive and secluded and so people can, just never know yeah they can hide i don't think there would be any in gulu town but like in the villages around there's they're around and um so the biggest thing that uh we get to experience well mosquitoes for one <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then after that is probably snakes and so the best story i have uh, one time i was walking with a, a friend who was a missionary there but only for like a a, a few months and um I think he's back in the States now, but he had, he had this land that he was really excited about and he was planning to develop and do some other things on it. And so he invited my roommate, Alan and I out to go and walk the land and see what he had plans for. And, um, and it had been raining like a few days before, uh, that we were walking out to see the land. And so he starts walking out and he's kind of showing us like, yeah, over here, we're planning to build this. And over here is going to be, you know, a, a school, a vocational school or this and this and he's kind of we're walking down this slope and then uh he stops and he was kind of like motioning with his arms and showing us down in the ravine what was going to be here and there and as we when he stopped it was him and then my roommate was right behind him and i was the third one and we were walking single file and i looked down and when i look because something caught my eye i saw something flailing around <laughs> and and so i looked down and he had stopped right on like this probably like six foot cobra. Oh my gosh. That was laying out sunning itself That's crazy. Uh, after the rain. <laughs> and and it was just like it was sleeping. So it worked out well uh, because <laughs> he stepped on it and I it just like woke up and it was just trying to like figure out its life and wiggle itself out. <laughs> and so I like quickly I was like, oh man, like watch out. And he like quickly stepped off and the thing bolted up the hill and went like through my roommate's legs, through my legs and then up uh, over the hill. Wow. And we were all just standing there like, oh man, that was intense. <laughs> that was crazy. And, uh, and so they say actually like when you're walking that uh, the most dangerous person to be is not the first person because they I say- I mean, you'd think like the cobra would like get the first right. person. But like they say usually like the first person wakes up the snake Okay. The second person walks close to it or steps on it and makes it angry. Okay. And then by the third person, it's like already ready to strike. And ah. so you step. So I almost got. You were in the danger ready. zone. Yeah, I was in the danger <laughs> zone. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's probably the craziest one I've had. Man, what's been uh, the most interesting thing you've eaten in Uganda? Because hmm. what, what do you eat normally? Like what's the main meal in Uganda? So the main meal is uh, called posho and then you eat it with beans and that's kind of the staple food. So it's like maize flour that you okay. take and you boil water and you add it to the maize flour and it comes out kind of like a solid. Almost like grits or? No, like... much more solid than that. Think more like, 
gosh, like what? <laughs> what <do> we, <laughs> think of like fruitcake or oh, gosh. meatloaf. Oh, it's kind of more like that kind of consistency. So okay. you, you take it out and it's kind of like a block and then you put beans on top of it. Um, that's so not very the, interesting. Not very, yeah, it's pretty bland. <laughs> people there love it. When you talk, when you ask people, you're like, what's your favorite food? Oh, poshman beans, really? So it's like grits. Yeah, yeah. You, you gotta you gotta be from there to love it, I guess. But uh, but certain missionaries that I know have learned to love it. Also, I don't. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think so. There's there's two things I would point to and say that they're kind of you know the exotic foods that would shock Western minds. And one is uh, that they catch white ants. So white ants are like. Uh, they're like a big oversized ant and they have like these four big wings on them. Oh, cool. And so their life cycle, uh, right at the end of their life, uh, they basically like they kick all the old ones out of the nest and they, oh, no. and they have to fly up. <laughs> and then like, it's just the weirdest thing. Like you watch them fly up and they're in this like cloud of ants and all their wings are just popping off. And so like, you're just seeing this like fluttering down of wings. It's like the closest thing you get to snow in Uganda. <laughs> um, and so... Yeah, so they go out, but what, what people do is they'll put a blanket over like a hole when they see a lot of them leaving, and then they'll scoop them up, and uh, they'll fry them with salt is one thing. And I've tried it. Um, I like crunchy, and I like salty, but then the buggy flavor is the mm. one that I'm not super thrilled about. <laughs> and so, I, and so I, I was, I've eaten those, and I'm like, eh, no, I'm not really a big fan. But all my Ugandan friends are like, when they, they're like, oh man, do you eat white ants? And I'm like, oh, I don't really like the flavor. And they're like, oh, that's because you haven't tried them pasted. And I'm like, okay. And so they're like, yeah, what you have to do is you get a bunch of them and then you smush them all together so that they're, they're just like this, you know, paste. And then you dip cassava or, or potatoes in it and you eat it like that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure that would be much better. So it's like better. a sour <laughs> cream dip. Yeah, basically. I mean, basically, yeah. So it's kind of like, hey, you know that part of them that you don't like? Like, let's just magnify that. And that's what's really going to make <laughs> you love them, you know, a lot. We'll take out um, the crunchy and just amplify the And just the buggy. amplify the buggy. Just <laughs> get that flavor going. And, uh, and then the other one, um, which I actually love. Uh, so they go hunting uh, for what's called a cane rat, which is like, I mean, it's more like think about like a beaver probably is okay. what you want to think about rather than like okay. a rat because okay. it's it's much bigger and it's more like a large rodent gotcha um yeah so they go hunting for that and then they smoke it and bring it back and they always almost always everything they eat is mixed with peanut butter so like not peanut butter like we think about it they grow the peanuts they mash them and then it's kind of like a a sauce that they they add everything so chicken or beef or greens or whatever it is like it's made in peanut butter and so hmm. that that's also made in peanut butter but it tastes like it tastes like barbecue brisket oh wow it's absolutely delicious so that would be yep that would be yeah i uh, lived in peru for a little bit and they have kui down there which is mm -hmm. guinea pig so they just grow it really big and then they eat it it's very similar to rabbit like most people are like oh man like uh why would you eat something that's like a rat or like a guinea pig but mm -hmm. It's very similar to eating a rabbit here. And not a lot of people eat rabbit just on a day-to-day -day basis. But when you put it into that light, they're like, oh, yeah, we do do that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like, and we also keep oh, those as pets. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, that's maybe, huh? Maybe it's not that weird. Uh -huh. But you just hear it at first and you're but like, But I oh. heard I heard guinea pig is really gross. It's, it's good. It's just greasy. 
So like, and the other thing too about it is how they cook it. So there, what they typically do is they just like stab a skewer all the way through the guy, mm -hmm. and then they like roast him over a fire. So they leave the skull on, they leave the teeth, the claws, like the whole thing. So he's just like, like roasting rotisserie style, but it looks like he died in the most gruesome way possible. <laughs> so you're like Fair. sitting there, and then they just like take it, slide it off, and they put it on your plate. So then you've got this like thing that's staring back at you as you're like, like eating its back and you're like, <laughs> Sorry, I don't know that buddy. I'm okay with this. Yeah. Like it tasted great. It was really greasy, but it was disturbing. So yeah, that was, that was the issue. Was, that's maybe that's part of my problem with the bugs is I just something in my mind. I'm like, you're eating bugs. That's hard <laughs> to get over. I mean, but you're, you're not a total stranger to eating bugs. I'm not a total stranger to eating bugs, but I've never really enjoyed it. Uh, ah, yeah. that's, that that's was like, thing. that was like a party trick that I used to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So if people wanted to find out more about like Terebinth Ministries and what you're doing, where would they want to go to get more information about that? Yep. Um, so we have a website and I believe it's terebinthministries.org, but it might be .com. So okay. Yeah. I won't ask you how to spell that. I'll like stick it up later. Thank you. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not do public spelling here. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> I teach the Bible. I don't, I don't teach. Yeah. Spelling is not spelling. You know, my grammar got a lot better after I like learned a little bit of Greek because then I mm -hmm. actually cared about what the different bits of grammar right. did. Yeah. That's true. Learning other languages definitely helps you to kind of uh, quantify your own. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Also, Luke has his own channel in Uganda oh, yeah. that he runs with his friend. It's called Trips with Pips. Yeah, but it'll be really hard to find on YouTube. Very hard to find on YouTube. <laughs> so I will also link that so you guys can uh, listen into that. That one's really fun. You guys basically just ride around in a car and talk while you're driving yeah. through Africa. I mean, it would be a conversation similar to this, but then you'd also get to see beautiful Ugandan landscapes. Exactly. Giant trees and the, mm -hmm. whole, the whole nine yards. Sometimes camels running down the middle of the, the road in Kampala. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's exciting. Excellent. So, yeah. All right. Go check it out. Like, subscribe, and tell all your friends. Tell all your friends. <laughs> if all your friends don't know, then you didn't do a good job. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You're a faithless servant. Faithless. <laughs>